the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And what a milestone. 80 episodes. I actually can't believe we're here. Doesn't feel real. And talking of things that don't feel real, that's a nice segue into this special episode. We're going back to the phenomenon that we first investigated in episode 61 when we covered Kazam. Or is it Shazam? Or is it Kazam? Or is it Shazam? Anyway, whatever it was, we're going to have a look at 10 examples of the Mandela Effect. In this milestone episode, we're going to step away from the spooky world of witches, just for a short while. But we're going to delve into the even spookier world of the Mandela Effect. How, what and why is the Mandela Effect? We're specifically going to be looking at movie Mandela Effect, as of course this is the HD Movie Podcast. It's in the title and that's what we're going to do. So before we begin, if you aren't familiar with this phenomenon, but I'm sure you are because it's something that's kind of been heightened on the internet for many years now. And I think maybe without the internet it wouldn't exist. So all we ask is remain open-minded and let us know what you think, if any of these specific Mandela effects have affected you or if you've got any others. So if you don't know what a Mandela effect is, this is just a definition um, if you Google the term. False memories can sometimes be shared by multiple people. This phenomenon was dubbed the Mandela effect by paranormal researcher Fiona Brooke reported having vivid and detailed memories of news coverage of the South African anti-apartheid leader Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 1980s. Now of course for those of you who live in this dimension Nelson Mandela passed away in 2013. I remember him passing away in 2013. He's always existed in my lifetime and I don't remember hearing that he was like a historical figure who died in the 80s so that's where I stand on it but I just thought it was absolutely crazy that something like this could affect so many people. And like, but I, but at the same time, I real, I don't understand how people didn't realize that he was still alive. Like, surely he's been in the media, you know, quite a lot. Yeah, he was going around to various different places, and quite a lot actually became a fairly celebrated public figure. So for people to say that he died in the eighties when he was clearly visiting other countries and clearly running a country at some point. He did pretty well for a dead guy. Yeah, and I think for me, I remember seeing footage of him with Princess Diana. That's quite very vivid for me. So, again, I'm not really sure why a lot of people have this false memory, but it's absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I'm not going to dismiss anybody because, you know, we all have our own personal experiences and uh, everything is valid here. So 
there's no judgment but it's just super interesting and I kind of love thinking outside the box a bit and thinking what if and that's what we're kind of going to get into. Darren yourself any Mandela effects personally affected you anything you've like looked at and thought that's not how I remember it? Weirdly because I'm very anal about details in movies and details in tv series most of the stuff that i remember from childhood and most of the stuff i remember from further on a little bit when i've been sort of watching movies in my teens i tend to remember things as they were the one thing that i remember differently anyway and it was the actual opening title sequence and we did discuss this on the shazam episode was a 70s British thriller series called Armchair Thriller. And there were two entirely different title sequences for Armchair Thriller, one of which was only ever used to trail the programme. And the one that was only ever used to trail the programme got in a fair bit of hot water with the TV censors because basically what the trail is, is an armchair covered in blood with a screaming face going across it. And they kind of showed this in the middle of the afternoon. So this kicked around for a couple of trailers and then they said, no, can't have that in the middle of the afternoon. It's terrifying people. So they booted it. Now, people remember that as the actual title sequence, which it wasn't. The actual title sequence is quite a clever bit of trickery where a shadow wanders across a room and sits in an armchair and then waits for the programme to start. Brilliant title sequence. If you haven't seen it, Google Armchair Thriller title sequence. Also, you'll probably see the one that's supposedly the alternative. But I think people remembered it because the screaming face going down the armchair was used as a holding slide. So when you got the next programme, it would say next armchair thriller, and then you'd get the armchair with the face across it. Again, 8 o'clock on Tuesday night, why the hell they put this in front of viewers? I mean, I remember vividly having quite horrible experiences with this holding slide. I was very young at the time. And having seen that coming up before the programme, I mean, it was more terrifying than anything that was ever in the programme, apart from the Black Nun. And I'm not going to tell you about the Black Nun. Google Black Nun, armchair thriller. At the time, it terrified an entire nation. You'll watch it now and think, why? But at the time, you know, different times. But this is a weird thing because people see one thing and then stick it on to a completely different set of events. So although Armchair Thriller never used that title sequence, there are people that swear blind that they remember sitting and watching it and that title sequence being used. Never happened. Absolutely never happened. But interesting because I think people were taking that trauma of seeing that sequence with the face. And it is traumatic. Even now it's like, that's really unpleasant. Who who came up with that? But I think trauma does weird things to people and they see it in different places. And in this case, they saw it on the opening titles of a TV series that never used them. It's an interesting thing to discuss, Armchair Thriller. I mean, the, the program's an interesting thing to discuss, but the title sequence is particularly interesting as well. So that's mine. That's kind of from the dim and distant past. I do have a feeling, Hayley, that yours is going to be a little bit more up to date than mine is. Sort of. I think we're talking over 25 years ago. But <laughs> um, yeah, what I find interesting about yours is it's British. And I find a lot of the Mandela effects are from American pop culture, particularly. So I do enjoy finding out that there are ones that are a bit more obscure. 
So I have two. Uh, if you have recently listened to our Look Who's Talking slash Look Who's Talking 2 episode, you will have heard me speak about this. But in a nutshell, when I was rewatching Look Who's Talking 2 for the purpose of podcast, there is a scene in the movie where John Travolta takes his two children to the cinema and he basically is trying to get in for free. So he gets the kids to play up a bit and gets them to like chuck popcorn, that type of thing. And in my memory, I remember a scene where he actually physically goes in, sits at the back of the cinema. You can see the light of the projector and they start watching an Arnold Schwarzenegger film and then the scene cuts. However, in the real version of Look Who's Talking, that scene doesn't exist. It ends with the whole uh, popcorn in the lobby sequence and that's it. And it cuts to them, I think, sitting on a bench eating yeah. ice cream. Yeah. So again, I put that down to I was really young when I saw the Look Who's Talking films and... It's probably just jumbled my memory a bit. I don't think there's anything too deep. I think with us, particularly, we're quite logical people. So we try and explain it, even though it's cool to think there could be something paranormal at play. And my second one, basically, if you don't know this about me, I am a huge fan of the Scream franchise. It was my gateway into horror movies and why I'm a big fan today. And I first watched Scream 1996 when it aired on Channel 4, I want to say around 2002. So bear in mind, it would have been on pretty late on Channel 4 and it probably would have had ads intercut into it as well. So I don't know if things were cut from it. But, you know, I'd say that nowadays I'm pretty well-versed in the screen film. But there's always something that's bothered me. So I remember watching it on Channel 4 and then there was a long gap before I um, finally persuaded my parents to buy it for me on VHS because I was too young to buy it myself. And when I watched the VHS, I thought there's a clip missing or there's a scene missing. And what it is for me is there's the scene earlier on in the film in broad daylight where Ghostface murders the principal, played by the Fonz. And then uh, the plot moves on and we get the climax of the party, which is set at night. Towards the end of the party, Randy receives a phone call from someone informing him that the principal has been killed and his body has been hung on the football field from the goalpost. In my mind, I have like a flash of an image of this death scene, but it doesn't make any sense because at that point when he receives the phone call and everybody leaves to rush out to uh, find the body, it wouldn't make sense for it to be in daylight so I don't know where this flash of image has come from because when I watched it on VHS and watched the film many times since then this scene doesn't exist and again I can chalk it up to me misremembering and using my imagination like the dialogue made me interpret something in my mind of how that that would have looked rather than it actually existing and then just being you know so young I don't know. Um, the other thing, I used to religiously go on a Scream fan site and it used to list like all the, the kills and everything like that. So whether someone did a mock image, I don't know. But I can't even tell you what the name of the site is anymore. It was like early 2000s. So that was my weird one. And it doesn't bother me too much, but it's one I think about sometimes. And especially when we decided to take on this subject again. And I was thinking that's just really weird that I had that in my head. I mean, you do get Drew Barrymore hanging from somewhere earlier in the movie, so it probably is quite easy to take that image and flash it up later in the movie. And 
lots of horror films do that sort of thing where somebody will say, oh, by the way, they found somebody, he's dead and he's, he's in this place. And then you'll get a jump cut to the body and then you'll get a jump cut back to the person having just found out about it. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Yeah, you're right, it doesn't appear in screen, but there's an easy explanation to show why that could be put in there. It's because that they describe it as well. So you can kind of make that deductive leap and you can picture it in your mind how he would be. Even though you don't see it in the movie, somebody has told you where he's been found and how he's been found. So you can get that mental image there, even if you don't see it on screen. Definitely. So with all that said, and we discuss our personal Mandela effects, let's get into 10 examples of this bizarre phenomenon that we just can't get enough of. Number 10. Right, so now we're getting into the actual list of 10 Mandela effects. These are just 10 that we've picked out. We've ranked them arbitrarily, really. The ones higher up the list are more interesting, but this is not a definitive ranking of all Mandela effects. This is just something that we've put together. So, at number 10, we're going to Disney. And quite old classic Disney. In fact, it's Snow White. Yes. So what do you think of when you hear the opening line of the film said by the Wicked Queen? She looks into the mirror and she says a very famous line. Have a think about it and then we'll tell you. Pause here. <laughs> okay. So I think typically when you think of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and the Wicked Queen, you think of the phrase, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Absolutely. In the Disney version, it actually begins with magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all. And I think this has blown people's minds that people are in disbelief that that is the line. I remembered it as mirror, mirror, but I believe that is because... Snow White is something that has just been redone so many times. I think there's even a, a live-action film version called Mirror Mirror. There is. Of Snow White as a, well. Yeah, it's a kind of an um, adaptation, yeah. Yeah, there's, it's been the subject of so many children's books and pantomime as well. So I can imagine if you've seen it in pantomime, I'm pretty confident the line would probably be Mirror Mirror. Yeah. So I don't think this is something that's changed per se i think people have just misremembered it because the line people think it is has been more popular than the, the line it actually is that's what I, I genuinely believe yeah and i think that's with a lot of things like the other example is in star wars the uh luke i am your father but he doesn't say luke it's no yeah. i am your father yeah. again another one blown people's minds yeah, I think things pass into public consciousness, and this is one of those things. And you're right, because it's been used in other sources so many times as Mirror Mirror on the wall, then you're going to assume that the classic version by Disney is going to use the same line. I did go back and check, because I just thought, you know what, I am going to go back and have a see at what this is. It is Magic Mirror on the wall. But if you'd have come to me and said, oh, what's the line? I'd have said Mirror Mirror as well, because it's just such an iconic line that I would have assumed that that came from the animation. It doesn't. 
Yeah, so I don't think it's anything to lose too much sleep over. It's definitely not the deepest or darkest Mandela effect out there. Again, I just honestly think there's a very logical explanation for that one. And people just assume because Disney is arguably the most well-known version of the story that it's going to be cut and paste, mirror, mirror. But obviously not. I mean, I'm not sure why Walt Disney decided to go with Magic Mirror. But, you know, maybe it wanted, he wanted it, the line to sound a bit more dramatic. So it's said very dramatically. It is. And it is a Magic Mirror as well. So does what it says on the tin. It's a mirror and it is magic. Okay, so moving on to number nine. Number nine is another interesting one. And this is less to do with the movie, more to do with people impersonating the person who is in the movie. It's Tom Cruise's dance to Bob Seger's old-time rock and roll from Risky Business. Now, in the movie, Tom Cruise does this dance and he... He's got um, a white dress shirt, he's got boxer shorts on, he's got socks on, and he's sliding around the polished floors of this house. And what people remember iconically about this sequence is that he is wearing sunglasses indoors. Or is he? No, he isn't. I'm looking at this image as we speak, and interestingly... He's wearing a light pink shirt as well. It's not a like white shirt, mm. but it's got a comparison next to it with someone impersonating the scene. So Tom Cruise has, yeah, as a pink shirt and white socks on, no sunglasses. Person in the shot imitating him is wearing a white shirt and black socks. So again, it's just one of those that people have for some reason misremembered. Looking at uh images as well from this film on the poster he is wearing sunglasses there's like a close-up of his face and the sunglasses sort of peering down by his nose and then the first image as well is him wearing sunglasses but it's a it's a completely different scene and I think people have just again jumbled this up in their minds they've probably just assumed because the sunglasses are so iconic with the imagery for the marketing of the film they've just assumed and I think if you haven't seen something for such a long time, I mean, again, this has got to be a rational explanation for this one. I'm not too freaked out by it. No, I mean, Cruz wears sunglasses for quite a decent proportion of the runtime for Risky Business. So for people to misremember that he wore sunglasses in that particular sequence, that's no biggie because he was in specs for quite a lot of the movie. And you'd think that in a sequence like that, the shades would add an extra layer of cool to it, but it just doesn't happen. He doesn't have sunglasses on in that sequence. You know, I can't even say go figure because, you know, there is no figuring to do. He doesn't wear sunglasses. So everybody that pretends to be Tom Cruise in that sequence from Risky Business to impersonate him at various parties, don't wear the shades because he doesn't have them. And why would you wear shades indoors anyway? I think that, that that's the kind of interesting factor about they've got to think logically this movie, this scene is set inside a house. What plausible explanation would he have for wearing sunglasses? Yeah. Yet it kind of looks like, oh, that said, though, it looks like he is wearing sunglasses indoors in one clip from the movie. So, you know, I eat my words there. But again, I, I'm actually not that familiar with Risky Business. I have never seen it. Don't come for me. 
it's a while since I've seen it. Um, I do remember that it's got a really good Tangerine Dream soundtrack on it, but and it's quite a good movie. But you're right. I mean, wearing sunglasses indoors, it's a cruise thing to do. I mean, it's a cruise thing to wear sunglasses in most movies. I mean, personally, the only time I've ever worn shades indoors is when I've had a migraine. So that wouldn't have been particularly interesting for risky business. Like, oh, I've got, I can't dance. I've got a bit of a migraine. I'm just going to put these shades on. For me, it's when I'm chopping onions. So again, oh, right. <laughs> no, that that seems pretty logical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're not to have a dance around the house. <laughs> At number eight, who are you going to call for a third time? It's Ghostbusters 3, which is an interesting one, really, because as soon as Ghostbusters 2 was in the can, there must have been rumours flying around that they were going to do a Ghostbusters 3, but not to the extent that people were remembering a third Ghostbusters movie when, to be perfectly honest, doesn't look like it's, it exists. I mean, we've got Afterlife now, but... Back in the day, there wasn't really much call for Ghostbusters 3, but people were remembering that there was a third movie. Yeah, so this thread on the subreddit glitch in the Matrix was actually posted in 2015, so this predates Afterlife, the movie that we got last year, which is essentially the Ghostbusters. It depends how you want to look at it. There is another Ghostbusters film that's independent from the main ones, yeah, That's I mean, story for yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna enrage the male fan base by saying anything about the female Ghostbusters movie, apart from it's fucking brilliant. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this Reddit user says, "My best friend and I are big fans of the Ghostbusters franchise. We were both born in the early '90s, so we missed out on the actual release of the movies, and we ended up watching them when we were a bit older." as any good parent should force their kids to watch Ghostbusters. A few years ago, I went over to my friend's house and he said he had bought a collection of all the Ghostbusters movies on DVD. I immediately picked up the box and was suddenly confused. It included Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, but not 3. I asked him about it and he said he was confused too that it wasn't included. Later that day, we investigated on the internet and discovered something that shocked the both of us. Ghostbusters 3 doesn't exist. Correct. (laughs) We were both certain that we had seen three Ghostbusters movies. I specifically remember watching the first one, the third one, and then the second one out of order. Yet no matter what we read, there definitely was no third movie. This has puzzled us for almost 10 years now. Why we remember a movie that doesn't exist? Granted, I have no memory of what actually happens in The Phantom Ghostbusters 3, but I feel like I watched it. We ended up chalking it up to a false memory. It was probably just the TV show that we were thinking of. We were pretty young, so those memories aren't really too reliable. That said, it still bugs me from time to time when I think about it. And one thing I do notice about a lot of people that seem to be affected by Mandela is that they are my generation millennials born sort of late 80s early 90s which i find quite fascinating it was a great time to grow up so many great movies out there movies they don't make them like that anymore and yeah you can always assume there probably would have been a buzz about a third ghostbusters at some point because it was such a, a huge franchise it was popular so yeah that one was pretty interesting but it's not on the scale of shazam because people can't seem to like tell you what the plot was 
that's just non-existent. They just think yeah. there was a third film. Yeah, it's interesting that they think that there is one kicking around, but can't tell you any details. I mean, Shazam, people are talking about details in the movie, which doesn't exist. Whereas Ghostbusters 3, it's kind of, oh, there was one out there, but I can't tell you what happened in it, which is, yeah, it's kind of, it's understandable. And I guess if you're young as well, if there's lots and lots of different Ghostbusters product out there, you've got two movies and you've got an animated series. So there's lots of opportunity to see Ghostbusters stuff. And I do accept that they may have thought about something that went off in the animated series and then attached that to a third movie. I'm sure that there was lots and lots of speculation that they were going to all come back for a third movie, which didn't happen. But with a product as big as that, I mean, it took a long time to get Ghostbusters 2 out, but you've got people clamouring for the franchise because two of the biggest comedy horror movies ever. People are going to clamour for a third one. There's no doubt about that. And I think for some people, that willingness to want a third movie actually manifests itself in being a third movie, even if it's something in the ether that you can't watch or rent or talk about plot. So it's more to do with how the human mind tricks itself, this one, I think, because certainly people will immediately, I mean, I'm not saying they're backing down, but immediately if you say, well, there isn't a Ghostbusters 3, it's not like Shazam, you're right, because people will go, yeah, you know what, you're right, there was no third Ghostbusters movie. I thought there might have been, there isn't one. Whereas with Shazam, you've got people vehemently defending a non-existent movie saying, I remember it, I saw the trailers, I saw the ads on TV, I saw the movie, I rented it on VHS, which is a whole other level of weird. This one, it's kind of, yeah, wasn't there a third Ghostbusters movie? Yeah, there might have been. Oh, hang on a minute, no. Had a quick check, there wasn't. It's not like uh, Die Hard 4, where they had confused that poor Aussie bloke by saying that there was no fourth Die Hard movie when there actually was. I've already apologised for that on the Die Hard 4 episode. It wasn't a cool thing to do, but at the time, wasn't a big fan of Die Hard 4. And to, to my mind, at that point in history, there were three Die Hard movies, and that was it. Maybe he thought you belonged in another dimension where Die Hard 4 didn't exist. Possibly. But yes, that, that's another story. <laughs> but talking about big 80s movie franchises, I can't talk about this Ghostbusters Mandela effect without mentioning this crazy story that's actually written in the same subreddit. And this is in relation to somebody thinking there was a fourth Back to the Future movie. So when we read this the other day in preparation for this podcast, I think we, we were just a bit stunned. This, this goes into so much detail. But I think this is just one person. I haven't heard too much about many other people relaying this plot. Okay, so the Reddit user says, I was talking to my girlfriend about this I remember it fairly well because I often think about it whenever Back to the Future is brought up or it's on TV. So, Doc and Marty are in separate timelines. In Marty's It's the 20s, an elderly Doc who is not from this timeline but has gotten stuck there is starting to believe his own press and has convinced himself he's as crazy as everyone says he is. His inventions are mostly ruined, only blueprints really surviving. Marty thinks he's drunk, but it turns out his mental health has deteriorated and he causes a scene in a mall and is taken away and ends up being put in a home for his own safety. And this was a pretty unforgettable moment. It is one of the saddest things I've ever seen. 
Marty sets about interpreting the blueprint set on reinventing his time-travelling car. Obviously, there's no DeLoreans around, so Marty realises he's going to be in for a long ride. He spends so long in this reality trying to build something that could get him home that he's integrated into society with friends and acquaintances and his prototype inventions are beginning to gain him notoriety and ends up with his own local radio show where he discusses the doc's inventions trying to convince people they work. He's happy but during his radio show receives transmissions from the doc in the other reality telling him to stay where he is as it's too dangerous to travel and that he's not got long left himself. He goes to see the doc in the home He's been taken to hospital as his health has deteriorated further. He is convinced Doc can still help him get back and save the Doc from his own reality. Doc tells him time travel isn't possible and anyone who thinks it is are the crazy ones. Marty is despondent but works even harder and goes to the Doc for more advice. He's dead. Marty is understandably devastated and through some soul searching decided he'll probably be dead in his old reality anyway and gives up going back and uses his phone to build the Doc Brown Foundation. It's established here that this is where the loop ends. A kid is doing something in the corner. We don't see what it is. His mum comes out to the doctor and says, all right, let's go. They go off. The thing he was playing with was a DeLorean, and he's drawn a symbol on it. This Marty sees it and puts it on the table. It was pretty subtle, which is why it worked. Like, they didn't say the kid was Emmett or anything. It doesn't say where he got a toy of a car that isn't invented yet, anything like that. I often think, like, maybe it was a different movie or something, or a spin-off, but I've not found anything on the internet, and I've looked many times. The Doc was definitely Christopher Lloyd, and Marty definitely Michael J. Fox. It was the mid-90s, and it was the first time I heard the word quadrilogy, yet it never happened. I don't know. Well, firstly, I mean, the Back to the Future trilogy ends pretty perfectly. With Back to the Future 3, it ties everything up very nicely. Secondly, that's a really dark fourth movie. Oh my god, yeah, it sounds so depressing. As I was reading it, I was like, where's the hope in this film? I mean, it's a great idea for a bit of fan fiction, but I just don't think this would have gone down very well as a fully-fledged feature in the cinemas ending Back to the Future on such a downbeat note. Yeah, I mean, if I'd have gone to see that, I'd have thought, what have they done? What have they done to the franchise? I mean, it was all, it was light and it was fun and it was exciting. Now they've given us this kind of triatise on death, basically. It's like a Rick and Morty episode crossed with Frequency, that movie about the radio where you can listen back in time. Great idea for a movie, not a great idea for a Back to the Future movie. No, and what's interesting with that one, they even suggest, oh, I could have been thinking about a different film or taken bits of plot from different movies but then he's adamant that it was Christopher Lloyd and Michael J Fox but I'm assuming by that point Michael J Fox would have been like older playing Marty McFly he wouldn't have had the kind of teenage appearance about him at that point so yeah again I know there was a video game Back to the Future which acted as like a fourth installment and I can't really tell you what happens in it so I don't know whether people are getting confused with that and thinking there is a fourth instalment in a cinematic form but who knows it's a very weird one but yeah unsettling it is unsettling and it's very much one person's well two maybe two people's experience of it because i've not heard anything else like that about a false back to the future movie that's very specific it's got very specific plot details and that's one that comes out of absolutely nowhere basically because it doesn't really bear an awful lot of relation 
to the previous three movies either. It doesn't really continue any of the other films. It goes off on its own direction, uh, its own very specific and very dark direction. Yeah, as you say, as a piece of fan fiction, fantastic, get it written. In fact, get it written, try and get it published. But as a movie in a fairly light, family-friendly franchise, if you're starting to confront people with the fragility of your own mortality and finding out that people are dead in other timelines, yeah, I don't think that fits in a PG movie, to be perfectly honest with you. (laughs) Definitely not. Okay, moving on, we have number seven, where we are going to be talking about something movie-related, but it's not exactly a movie. It is a very famous acceptance speech phrase that's been misquoted. We're going to be talking about Sally Field, and you like me. You really like me. I mean, we do really like Sally Field, but in this particular case... I don't think she's talking about whether people really like her because the actual footage of the event tells us something a little bit different. Yeah, so the quote is actually along the lines of you like me right now, you like me. I think this one, for me, the reason that I assumed it was you like me, you really like me, I believe the clip is spoofed in the 1994 mask film starring Jim Carrey and there's a bit where he's doing all the crazy mask stuff and then there's a bit where he's holding an Oscar and he's like you like me you really like me so he's obviously parodying the whole clip and that that is my only memory of this but people seem to think that that's what she said but in fact she didn't and again I'm assuming it's somewhere down the line it's been misquoted in pop culture so much that people have forgotten what the original quote is. I think this is very much in the same line as Magic Mirror. Yeah. The Oscars, it's a heightened sense of emotion. And I guess that they were thinking like, well, Sally feels obviously delighted to get an award and she's very gushing. And I guess somebody's attributed, you like me, you really like me. It's even appeared in various... TV episodes. In fact, not so long ago, I was watching an episode of Hawaii Five-O, the new one, and at one point, somebody actually says something along the lines of, oh, it's a bit of a Sally Field situation. You like me, you really like me. And I was thinking, well, it is a Sally Field situation, but you've got the line wrong. Yeah, and there's also another bizarre Mandela effect about her surname. Apparently, at one point, she was Sally Fields. Um, <laughs> not Sally Field. I, I think I always remember her as Sally Field. Though, because I'm, I've got the video cover of Mrs. Doubtfire in my mind now, and it had Robin Williams and Sally Field, no S at the end on the top, and that is how I remember it. And that yeah. is a video cover I remember from my childhood back in the nineties. So, yeah, I don't buy that one. No, I don't buy that one either. I think there are issues with surnames that could be pluralized because there, there was a a folk singer called Mary Hopkin, and the number of times I've heard people call her Mary Hopkins sticking an S on the end. And it's like, no, it was Mary Hopkin. I know I know that Hopkins is quite a common name, but her name had no S on it. But the number of people that talk about, I mean, she did a very famous song called Those Were The Days. And people go, oh, you remember that song, Those Were The Days by Mary Hopkins. And it's like, well, I don't, I remember it by Mary Hopkins because I'm just annoying like that. 
there's a half man half biscuit song which is going on about people misinterpreting things in popular culture and they're on about the book of revelations and he says like there's no s it's the book of revelation in the bible and then he, they go on to say well see also mary hopkin so they quote her in the song as well i think if you're gonna have a fairly common name that could also have a plural version i can see why people thought it might have been sally fields but she's never been sally fields to me even in the movies that she was in in the 70s i'm pretty sure she was sally field i don't think that she'd inherited any more fields in that time so so for me it's it's sally field i'm willing to be corrected if there was ever anything she appeared in where it was sally fields yeah, and I think this is the problem with a lot of Mandela effects. There's no evidence to these things. Now, people bring it down to that it is different dimensions and we're in, like living in a different timeline to other people and they see something one way, we see it another way. But yeah, there's no real evidence to suggest anything different. Yeah, because I was listening to a podcast about the Mandela effect on Spotify and listening to about how these researchers look for like residue from alternate dimensions to prove it. And someone said that the one thing they could prove was the spelling of Febreze, which is an interesting one because Febreze is another product that's come under fire with the Mandela effect. And they actually found the old spelling. And again, I think that's nothing too sinister. They might have spelt it differently at one point and decided to change the spelling. Yeah. I think it's probably something as simple as that. We can think way too much into this kind of stuff. And again, it's like with Shazam, there's no actual evidence of this film existing. Nobody has a VHS copy of it. Any video cover art of this film, it's basically all fan-made. So there's just no no way. So it's it's very very crazy times. Yeah, if if I get trapped in the Sally Fields multiverse... And am able to make it back? I will report on how many Sally Fields are out there. But we're on Earth at the moment in this particular universe, and it's Sally Field. Number six. Number six takes us into the world of goofy movies. But how goofy a movie? A very goofy movie, apparently. <laughs> or is it an extremely goofy movie? Yeah. Um, This one threw me. I'm not going to lie. This one did bother me a little bit. So in the 90s, Disney released a Goofy movie, which is about father and son. You have Goofy and his son, Max. I haven't watched this movie for years, so I can't really tell you much about the plot. Maybe we'll do it for HD Movie Podcast one day. You never know. It's quite a popular film, actually. It's kind of become a bit of a cult classic in, in the Disneyverse. But it did spawn a sequel, as these things do. And... I wouldn't think it was out of the realms of possibility for someone to say the sequel of a Goofy movie was a very Goofy movie. Yeah. That film title exists in my head. Mm. I don't know why, but apparently there is no a very Goofy movie. There is an extremely Goofy movie, but some people have a memory that there are actually three Goofy films and a very Goofy movie is the second one, extremely is the third, but allegedly that's not an extremely Goofy movie is the sequel to a Goofy movie. Some people have suggested maybe people are getting confused with the fact there was a very Goofy Christmas movie, but then people are arguing, saying, no, it was nothing to do with Christmas. It was like straight up sequel to a Goofy movie. But yeah, this one did bother me slightly. You're not going to lie there. 
I think the interesting one for this, and it's it's how people order things, I think. Because if you're going from just a goofy movie straight to extremely goofy movie, that's just going to the far end of the continuum. So you've got normally goofy movie and then extremely goofy. There's nothing in the middle. Now, the way that human beings operate, you can't just go from one end to the other. So there must be some happy medium. So what's the midpoint between just goofy and extremely goofy? Well, you could have averagely goofy movie. That wouldn't be a very good title. Very goofy movie. That's kind of a midpoint between just goofy and extremely goofy. I can see why people thought there was a very goofy movie, because when you're ordering movies in levels of goofiness, then very should turn up at some point. Why they didn't put a very goofy movie as a sequel and just leapt straight into it being the extremes of goofiness. I just don't quite understand why, but I do get why people think there's one. And I do get why people say, oh, it's not the Christmas movie, because it does seem to be that like there should be something in the middle somewhere. We've had some goofiness, but now we're just getting extreme goofiness and there's nothing in the middle. And I think that because... In general, human beings are quite ordered. They can't handle that leap to the extreme straight away. It's like, no, there has to be a stop somewhere along the line. We can take very goofy movies, and then once we've gone through very goofy movies, then we can get to the extreme stuff. It's like a gateway. The very goofy movie is the gateway to the extreme goofy movie. So interestingly, a goofy movie wasn't the introduction of the character of Goofy and Max's father and son. There was actually a TV show that ran between 92 and 93 called Goof Troop. And then a goofy movie came out in 95, followed by an extremely goofy movie in 2000. The sequel actually was a straight-to-video release, so it was just, you know, Disney cashing in on its popular media, the, the usual um, thing that happens there. But when you type in a very goofy movie to IMDb, it just brings the first movie up. A goofy movie so i don't know where this has personally come from but as again i get what you're saying with the ordering of things that, that's a really good explanation for it number five for number five we're going to bend the rules ever so slightly about movies it's a short movie in all regards but it's actually a music video and it's the music video for Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. Yeah, great song. I was a massive Avril Lavigne fan back in the day. I still enjoy her music. Recently, like I've discovered that she has become the subject of many strange conspiracy theories and two Mandela effects, one that we are going to discuss in detail. There is this really crazy conspiracy theory going around that Avril died in 2003 and since 2003 a imposter body double woman called Melissa has been posing as Avril. Again this is such a really weird and eerie conspiracy theory. Don't necessarily believe it because again there's always a logical explanation but look into that if you want to. We're not going to really go into loads of detail on that because it's more of somebody's created something on the internet and kind of interpreted her lyrics in certain ways to enable this theory. It's all very strange. And the other one is people seem to recall that she did an ad for 
the ad campaign got milk. So there was a campaign going around, I believe this was in America, so yeah. uh, nothing to do with us over here in the UK, so it would have probably passed us both by. There was this series of ads where it was just encouraging people to drink milk and you'd have images of different celebrities with milk moustaches. You can find loads of these online, but Avril Lavigne's doesn't exist, but people are convinced she did one. They imagine she was wearing like a, a white tank top in it. She had a guitar, but no, there is no trace of this image whatsoever. So not only that, but the very recent Mandela effect that has come to light surrounding Avril Lavigne is in regards to her music video of Skater Boy, which again, when I read this, I was like, no, this, this isn't right because in my opinion, the music video for Skater Boy was quite chaotic. It was shot in a city. She's on a car. There was no kind of plot to it as such. It was just one of those videos that featured Avril and her band. Kind of similar to the complicated video where it was just them causing chaos, having fun, being very punk rock. That is just the style of what it was. But the song Skater Boy does have a narrative to its lyrics. So... You can basically put the music video aside and you can listen, like you can listen to the lyrics and you can, you know, envision the story. This subreddit on the Mandela Effect forum under uh, the music and musicians Avril Lavigne Skater Boy, this Reddit user says, Okay, normally Mandela Effects I see as fun and I'm like, ah, brain was playing tricks. However, I am really unsettled by this one. I seen a girl post about it on TikTok, like, remember her video, what do you remember from it? I remember a girl at home with a baby in her arms, wrapped in a blanket and watching Skater Boy on an old TV. I then remember bits of said girl being on the phone and her arriving at the concert for it to be too late and Skater Boy to be with Avril. Okay, normal. Oh no, I went to YouTube and there is a version there. The earliest upload I could find was 2008 via SingStar recording of this other video for the song, like something I've never, ever seen before. Now, I remember this old one with the ex-girlfriend clear as day from the days when MTV used to play music videos and I was like 10. I put this on Instagram too because I feel like I'm going nuts, but lots of people remember the above video. Now, I've spent 24 hours into finding this with no luck. Anyone else remember this? Have we all made this vision up in our heads? A full music video. I'm starting to feel like I have travelled from a, another universe or something. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, Avril Lavigne. One woman Mandela effect industry that is Avril Lavigne. I mean, in terms of her being replaced by somebody since 2003, I have to say, pardon the pun, I'm with you. On that one. So, oh, God, I was like, I really shouldn't have put that joke in. That's terrible. But, yeah, the Skater Boy video, I remember when you actually texted me and said, what do you remember about the Skater Boy video? And I was thinking, oh, it's a pretty unremarkable video because I'm pretty sure it's just them playing in the middle of a city and then the cops come to break it up at the end. There's a helicopter overhead and it's just them playing the song, basically, in a location. And then you kind of went on to say, Oh, by the way, there's this whole Mandela effect about the Skater Boy video in which it actually follows the narrative of the song. And, you know, it's got the baby and they're going to the concert and stuff. And I was like, no, I don't remember that at all. I'm sure it's just them playing. And it is, basically. That is a weird one. But again, I think because the lyrics are so descriptive that you can paint that mental picture of the song going along because 
it's a very expressive song. It's the the meaning's not hidden. Everything that happens in the song, it's all out there, and it it's almost like a country and western song. It kind of has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it takes you on this journey, and it's it's telling you a story. It's not trying to be oblique or sort of uh, secretive about anything. It's just about like this guy and this girl, and they meet, and things happen, and then later on they see each other again, and so, so it's, yeah, yeah, it's like a classic love song. Oh well, not not love song in this case. It doesn't happen, but yeah, for them to imagine the entirety of another video, and for people to say I saw it on MTV, I I doubt that very much. I mean, I watched quite a bit of MTV when it was starting up, and and certainly to the point where Avril Lavigne would have been on MTV, and I don't remember seeing this other video. And to be perfectly honest, as we've we've talked about this off air as well, why would you shoot two videos for a song? Video photography and certainly getting videos out and marketing them is very expensive. So if you've got a perfectly good video for the song, why take that video and think, you know what, let's do a completely different one, which has got actors and sets and narration and this story and stuff. It's like, no, no, we've already got this video here. We can just keep playing this video. This will just cost us money. Yeah, this one really did get to me a little bit. I think it is because when Avril first came onto the scene, I was a huge fan of her music. I used to listen to the Let Go album like over and over. I even used to mimic her style a bit. You know, it was the early 2000s, but I was a big fan of her. And I still think fondly of Avril and I will listen to her new music from time to time. So with this one, I decided to ask some friends about it, yourself included, Darren. Yep. Um, so I have another friend who is a big fan of Avril. So I messaged him and asked him. So he recalled the uh, same video that we did. Then I asked my best friend who I grew up with. So we would have been the same age, around the age 12, 13, when Skater Boy was released. And she remembered again, same video. Then I ask another couple of friends who are slightly younger. So they would have been around nine or 10 when this video came out. And I say nothing. I just say like, what do you remember about the Avril Lavigne Skater Boy video? And they start telling me they remember this non-existent video with the girl and the baby and the concert. And I'm a bit mind blown because this is the first time I've actually spoken to people in real life, not just read it on sub forums. Like, people are literally sitting there telling me and are looking very confused. And I'm like, no, they go on YouTube, they, they look it up, and they, they're actually stunned. Now, again, I don't know whether it is an age thing. It's like how old you were when you saw something. But again, I think it, it's like me with the screen thing. It's just completely envisioning something through description. It's got to be. This one is so strange to me. And I think the age does come into it. I think there's a certain point at which, and to be kind of cynical about it, I think if you're younger, you can project a bit more. I think as you get older and you get more worn down by everything, then you kind of go, oh, that wasn't that wasn't right. They wouldn't make a video like that. That would be just too literal. Whereas if you're a kid, you'd think, oh, isn't it cool that they could make a video like this, that they're going to show you everything you hear in the lyrics on screen as it's happening. So I think the age that you are when you remember something does play into it in quite a big way. Whereas when you're a cynical adult and like nothing's impressive anymore, then you kind of think, well, it's just a bunch of people playing on the street, really. And that kind of thing washes over you. So I'm quite 
I'm quite sort of heartened by the fact that people are inventing these alternate videos. Even if they don't exist, it proves that, you know, imagination isn't dead. People are actually out there remembering things. And even if they're not correct, wouldn't it be great if the Skater Boy video did have the narrative in it? Yeah, it probably would. They went a different direction. I can't be harsh on this one because, as you say, it's envisioning exactly what it's telling you in the lyrics. And if you can picture that, great. I think if you can't picture that and just think it's just going to be some band in the street, then I think there's a little bit to be said for, you know, how we lose that sort of innocence the older we get and how it permeates everything else and everything's a bit shit, really. With this one, I'm more with the people who want the alternative video, even though it doesn't exist. Yeah, and I think it's kind of like the plot of every generic teen movie that would have been around at the time as well. There is yeah. that, so you can just imagine. But what I, I, again, I find so interesting about this, it seems to have affected a certain age group. So it's people that were there between the ages probably of 27 and 30 right now, as we're recording in 2022. And it's like people are saying, let's call it our version. I cannot find our version anywhere, like at all. There is no way that we made up the exact same video. I cannot explain this at all. I'll keep searching. This is crazy. I am 30 years old. I remember our version like it was yesterday, and now nothing. No trace. And then the response to that is, it is so, so weird. I put it on my Insta and got the same response as this thread, people thinking I'm insane, and they only remember the one online. And then our version, who was as freaked out as us. I'm 27 and I remember MTV playing this music video. Like even being at my friend's house watching it and dancing about. It's the fact the oldest I can find, the one online is 2009, yet this song is from 2002. So weird. And then somebody else says, I was an absolute Avril fanatic back in the day and I can't say I remember it the way you do. I feel like I have a vague memory of how you describe it, but I have a stronger feeling it might have been a different video, which is weird. I have my Australian tour edition of Let Go at Home, which has the music video on it, so I can check that, but just watching the video on YouTube now, it's exactly how I remember it, and I used to wait for it every Saturday morning to see the film clip. So, again, it's just really interesting how a certain age group has been affected by this, and I think this is, again, quite close to Shazam and Kazam, because people can actually describe what goes on in this video like yeah. there's more comments you know people saying exactly how they remember it how the girl was in this dingy flat with you know a tv with the antennas and she's nursing the baby in a blue blanket it's like that level of detail yeah i mean it could be in another video there must be loads and loads of music videos that deal with similar topics and they may be remembering it from another video but when people are saying oh we can't find our version well, you've got your version. Remember that as your version. You don't need to have the video of it. Just remember that as your version of the video. You don't have to have it in front of you on YouTube. If that's the way you want to remember that video, remember the video that way. You don't have to have it how the rest of us have experienced it. So, again, I'm loath to trample on people's view of this video because both are valid, even though one of them clearly doesn't exist. And I'm curious to know if there is a video like this out there for a similar song from that era that people are just mixing up. Like, let us know in the comments if you found something that could be vaguely similar to what people are describing. Because 
it's got to come from somewhere. And yeah, as I've said, there is the lyrics, but not everybody can remember the exact same visuals. Like everyone would interpret it differently. You know, we're all individual people. There's no way we can think exactly the same about something or see the exact same thing in our heads unless it is fact and it's something you've seen on TV. But yeah, so this one's really fascinating. And it does, it does freak me out. I'm not going to lie. It yeah. really does, because as I say, I've spoken to people in real life that seem to remember it and seemed shocked and said, nope, that, that video didn't happen. Yeah, true. So all we can say to this is, Avril, why do you have to go and make things so complicated? I've done it again. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the only, the last thing I will say on it, though, is the only thing I think similar is Avril a few years later did have a video to her song Girlfriend, and that was where... It was about a guy leaving one version of Avril for the cooler version. Yeah. Like, again, that's a very vague memory in my mind. And there was also people suggesting that somebody had created the narrative music video for The Sims 2, which is still on YouTube if you want to check it out. Yeah. It's pretty good, you know, <laughs> Sims. But, you know, people are saying, no, it's, it's not that because they remember it as live action. Yeah, The Sims 2 one is worth checking out. It's very funny. One thing that isn't a Mandela effect was the karaoke version of Skater Boy that me and Chris Ellis did at the Horrorcon UK after party this year. Some people would probably prefer that it was a Mandela effect and it never existed, but it's out there now. I can hardly apologise for what me and Chris did to the song during that evening. We were both very drunk and I can't take it back. For number four, we're going to go into the realm of scary movie. We talk about a lot of scary movies on this podcast, but we're actually going into scary movie, specifically the line, I see white people. But apparently it's dead people. This is another one that is particularly bothersome because I could, you know, confidently say Shorty does go, I see white people. It's the scene where they're all getting high. And you get the kind of hilarious facial expressions from Ghostface. <laughs> so, yeah, this one, I definitely see that joke being within the context of Scary Movie. I mean, it is meant to be crude humour. It's, it's unapologetically out there. It's not going to hold back. And I don't think it cared about the censors or anything like that. So this one, again, I find pretty weird. Um, so going off the Mandela Effect wiki fandom page... Basically, it says, I See White People is a Mandela Effect example that takes place in the 2000 horror comedy scary movie. In one scene, Shorty states, I see dead people after getting high, a reference to the horror movie The Sixth Sense released a previous year. However, many clearly remember him saying, I see white people instead, which would be a racial joke. The effect is said to have caused upset and it has destroyed the humour of the scene. It apparently originated about five years after the movie came out People clearly remember I See White People was changed to I See Dead People. Some people think the line appeared in the trailer, but there is no trailer evidence out there of this line. The possible explanation given about it is the line I See White People is said by a black character in the 2002 action comedy movie Undercover Brother. One's mind can possibly mix up both movies and remembering their scenes. That's possible, but I've never seen Undercover Brother I may have seen a trailer for it, perhaps, I don't know. But, you know, I can see him with the blanket after getting high and saying, I see white people. I honestly do believe that happened. 
I think it fits with the tone of Scary Movie. And I think that that sort of line would be quite apt in that sort of scene. I did remember it as being I see dead people that you've got so high that you are actually seeing dead people. So I thought it was funny at the time. But I think I see white people would probably be as funny. However, I mean, quite a lot of the cast of Scary Movie are white. So he's probably seen quite a few white people up to this point. Do you get so high that you can see white people? I mean, it depends who you're getting high with, basically. But I understand that people would say, well, it got cut out because it was too racially offensive. I agree with you. Would Scary Movie have cut a line like that out? I don't think so. Considering the stuff that's already in Scary Movie, I think that would have just gone by the wayside of just them saying, you know what, we can just chuck anything in this movie. And a line like, I see white people. I mean, come on, it's not that offensive. To be perfectly honest, it's quite funny. Yeah, it's it's another weird one. And the fact that people are saying that they would see it in trailers. I mean, I did scope out a couple of scary movie trailers. It's not in there. Now, I've probably not gone through every single scary movie trailer in existence, but I don't remember the line from the movie and I don't remember the line from the trailers either, which is kind of weird. But I understand why people would think that because... It's that level of humour. And I see dead people. It's a direct reference to Six Sense. There's lots and lots of direct references in scary movies to other horror films. So it fits with how it's written. But equally, because of the level of humour involved, you can also see that I see white people would fly as a line in that scene as well. So I think again with this one, What's the funniest line? I'm not sure. Probably. I'm, I mean, I'm going to go with I see white people as a funnier line, even though it's not there. Yeah. And I think the film did satirise racial humour in it. I think there was a lot of that, yeah. you know, in there. I think particularly with the, the cinema scene, the spoof <laughs> of Scream 2, where the character of Brenda, I believe it is, like she's calling Gwyneth Paltrow a white girl. And, you know, so it's been a long time since I've watched it, but I have vague memories of that. So that's why I think it's not too much of a stretch to believe that they would have kept that line in. But I definitely tricked myself. When we were discussing this Mandela effect prior to recording, I said, wasn't there a girl in a green towel on the poster for Scary Movie 2 that came out a year later and her says, I see white people or I love white people? Darren, correct me, what does it say? It says, I love dead people. She's got the green towel on. But it does say I love dead people on the poster. But again, it's easy to see why you could get make that mistake because you've got that background from the first movie and it's feeding into the rest of the series. So once you've got that in your mind, it's very difficult to dislodge that sort of thing. No, I think definitely parallel universe is going on here. <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to be. And then... Interestingly, there is actually another scary movie Mandela effect for the uh, second film, which, again, is quite interesting because nobody can forget the creepy caretaker in Scary Movie 2 and his strong hand. Like, yeah. that, that is still a subject of memes to this day. I think I remember, like, back in school, people were quoting it. So this is on the subreddit for Mandela effect, and the user says, a Scary Movie 2, take my strong hand. Nope. In the iconic scene where he's trying to save someone who's hanging out of a window, Chris Elliott's character says, take my little hand. I've heard this misquoted a million times by many different people. I've had people flat out not believe them when I tell them the actual quote. I think this is a legitimate Mandela effect. 
yeah, strong hand, that's in my head as well, mm. not little hand. That bothers me again. But again, I was so young when I saw the scary movie films. I did watch them over and over, but I was between the ages of 10 and 12 when I watched these films when I, I shouldn't have been. But a lot of it went over my head. <laughs> you were pleased to hear. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's hate my strong hand. I can, I can hear him say it. Again, it Not kind that. of fits the tone of the movie. People are writing slightly better jokes than there are in the in the actual movie. And I think scary movie is such a scattershot thing and that's not to its detriment but scary movie is just any target is fair game and they don't hold back they'll just make a joke out of pretty much anything so it's easy to see why people will kind of build on their own jokes as well when they're talking about scary movie because it works because they're throwing things at the wall to see what sticks in the scary movie franchise but fortunately quite a lot of it does stick it's not like something like Meet the Spartans where nothing sticks at all and you just think, get me the hell out of this movie, please roll the credits. You know, the the Wayans brothers, they kind of know how jokes work. And if you're having a good time, then, yeah, you're going to misremember jokes. I mean, that's quite easy. I mean, you're going to misremember lines in movies. You're going to misremember jokes as well. And sometimes misremembering the joke is going to be weird and unfunny. But in these two circumstances, the audience are building on the actual knowledge of how the movies work to come up with arguably slightly better jokes for the scene. Oh, and on a side note, can we please request that nobody ever asks us to do those really bad spoof movies that came off the back of Scary Movie, like Meet the Spartans and Epic Movie and all those. They are just some of the worst films to ever exist. They're not funny. Yeah, like I, I just can't even. Yeah, I am never fucking watching Meet the Spartans again. I cannot, even for this podcast, I cannot sit through that movie again. See, we have our limits here. Number three. So for number three, we have a sequel, a sequel that did not exist. Its batteries still not included. The sequel to, surprise, surprise, Batteries Not Included. This is a movie I haven't seen, so I can't really give too much detail on my thoughts on this one. But basically, I came across this Batteries Still Not Included Mandela effect on a Reddit about movies that are similar to the Shazam Kazam debacle. Like anything else out there that people uh, remember seeing but find out doesn't actually exist. And this is actually quite a recent thread on Reddit. So um, it's posted five days ago at the time of this recording. So the user says, what about batteries still not included? I vaguely remember it being advertised back in the 80s, a few years after the original batteries not included movie came out. But I can't be entirely sure. Perhaps someone on here would remember it and comment on it. The reply is, I remember that the wife died and the husband was still running the restaurant. The artist and the pregnant lady was married. Baby was older and they had more kids. The little guys came back. Yeah, people saying that sounds like really f familiar. And I think the whole thing with it was that it was a proposed sequel and there might have been some footage that was filmed like as a teaser. I'm not sure if I'm right there. I mean, at the end of Batteries Not Included, it does move on sometime and it shows you what's happened to the characters a bit later on. I'm not going to give too many spoilers, but it does move on in time at the end of it. There's a resolution to the plot and then it moves on because 
the area has been developed a little bit and certain things have happened. So maybe people are remembering the end of Batteries Not Included and thinking, right, okay, it kind of sets up what's going to happen next without anything actually happening next. And for people to say, you know, I'm, I'm seeing adverts for it, from what I can gather, there was never anything concrete about advertising a sequel. And again, very much like the Back to the Future trilogy, but for a single movie here, Batteries Not Included is very much a self-contained entity. Everything is resolved at the end of the movie. Yes, you could come back and do a sequel, but it doesn't feel like it needs a sequel. Batteries not included. It's one of those movies where everything is pretty much wrapped up satisfactorily. Yeah, there are a couple of tiny loose ends, but not enough to warrant a sequel. And I think, again, it's just a weird one because this doesn't really lend itself to continuing the story. You know, there's not kind of an open ending. So this is an odd one. I have to say that the people are thinking about the second Batteries Not Included movie because I think there wasn't really an appetite for the sequel either. I think it did okay at the box office, but it didn't do brilliantly. And I think it got decent-ish reviews, but I don't think there was anything like the appetite for a sequel. So it just was there as a standalone entity. And I just remember Batteries Not Included, not particularly fondly, and I don't remember a huge amount about the movie. And I certainly don't remember any talk about a sequel. So I am going to say go figure here, because I genuinely don't get how people suddenly conjured this sequel out of thin air, because there really is almost nothing to go on. If you get to the end of Batteries Not Included, you wouldn't think, oh, right, where's the sequel? Yeah, and I think Batteries Still Not Included is a legitimate sequel oh, yeah. title. You yeah. can imagine that existing. But yeah, I, I'm just guessing that the idea might have been teased somewhere and people, again, misremember the fact they thought they saw this film or saw a promo for it, but it doesn't actually exist. Again, it's, it's just fascinating stuff. I, I, just, I just love it and I just want to understand more about it, I think. I guess maybe because Spielberg had a little bit of a hand in it. It wasn't directing it or anything, but but it was under that kind of banner. And I guess when anybody talks about Spielberg, Spielberg is associated with enduring franchises and big movies. So I guess maybe there's a slight case to be made for something. You know, if it's something that's had the hand of Spielberg in it, there surely needs to be another movie following on from it. But... Yeah, I'm I'm reaching here. I don't think I don't think there's a lot of justification that I can give for there to be a, a non-existent sequel out there. It's just one of those things. Yeah, I mean I do like the title. The batteries would still not be included because you don't need them. But equally, you don't need a sequel to this either. Yeah, I mean I will check it out one day. Maybe we will cover it on the podcast. Who knows? But I'm quite intrigued to see what this film is because I don't think I've really ever heard of it. But I'm yeah, I'm quite interested to check it out. Number two. Number two is another curious one. Although we've got a more curious one coming up for number one. But for now, we're gonna discuss the ending of Big. Or rather the ending of Big that people thought was in there, but didn't actually exist. And when we say big, we're talking about the Tom Hanks 80s film it's uh, quite an iconic movie 
yeah, this one baffled me, but there is quite a plausible explanation for it that you did discover. Yeah, true. The ending of Big, as I remember it, and as probably a lot of other people remember it, spoiler alert, this is the ending of Big. Josh, who is now adult Josh, played by Tom Hanks, gets to find another Zoltar fortune telling machine and returns back to being a teenager. That is the ending of Big that I remember. So, apparently, that isn't the ending of Big that everybody else remembers, or some other people remember it anyway. So, there's supposedly an additional scene where Josh, as a teenager, goes back to school and meets a new kid at school who turns out to be the younger version of his girlfriend, played by, I think, Elizabeth Perkins, from his time working in New York City, which means that she went back and found the Zoltar machine and made the wish to be young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a weird ending, but there are some people that do think it ended like that. Now, the explanation of this is a fairly convoluted one, because that is the ending of a reasonably similar movie about body swapping called 14 Going on 30, where the kid turns himself into an adult and then eventually turns back into a kid. And then his love interest when he's an adult, who is a teacher, uses the device again and then becomes a teenage girl and joins the class, which is a fucking weird ending, if you ask me. But that's 14 going on 30. Not to be confused with 13 going on 30 with Jennifer Garner, which we have covered in this podcast which is about a 13-year-old girl wishing she was 30 and then becoming 30. So there's lots and lots of body swap stuff going on here. Cronenberg would have a field there with all the body swap stuff going off. Again, it's a weird one. I mean, I clearly remember the ending of Big. And when I was looking into this and found this alternative ending to it, I was thinking, that's kind of a creepy ending as well if that happened in the movie that that one of the characters goes back and becomes young so that she can be with young josh that just no that's icky that's horrible yeah i remember the same ending as you but yeah this one like i don't think it would have gone down well in a hollywood family blockbuster somehow so 14 going on 30 i've not seen it is it more of a independent film or was that quite a big budget hollywood um entry i think it's just it's not it's not on the same level as big in terms of production or cast or anything so it's the sort of thing that would have i don't say it would have sneaked out but it's the sort of thing that most people probably haven't caught it wouldn't have hit cinemas in the UK. It's not the sort of movie that would stick in people's minds unless you've specifically seen it and specifically seen Big and then conflated the two. So it's a weird one, that one. And you're right about Big because it's a family movie and it's got a very sweet ending. Why sully it with some weird twist in the plot of the end where, where the woman decides to go back and chase the love of a life who is now a kid again it's just no oh no yeah it's um a bit unpleasant really so i'm glad that big didn't go with that ending i doubt it was even on the radar but yeah it's very interesting again how people can just confuse media one media with the other it's it's just one of those and 
I think people then want to believe it is something much deeper than it actually is. And again, these films were obviously very much of the same genre. There was, there was loads of movies back in the 80s and 90s, particularly, that dealt with body swapping. You obviously had Freaky Friday. My personal favourite is actually a lesser-known film starring Catherine Heigl and Daniel Harris called Wish Upon a Star, which okay. is a Disney Channel movie. That was one of my favourite, as about two sisters swapping bodies. Just put that in there. Yeah, so it's easy, like, how you could mix things up with similar movies. And I think it happens a lot because people go, oh, yeah, do you remember this happening in this movie? It's like, nope, that was another movie. It's definitely one of those incidents. Yeah, and that sort of era of Hollywood, they were making the same sort of movies within, like, a couple of years of each other. So at one point it was all body swap movies. So you couldn't move for body swap movies at one point. So it's quite easy to get one confused with the other when there's so much product out there that's dealing with basically the same plot. I can see why people got it confused with Big, but considering how sweet and family-oriented Big is, to have that twist at the end doesn't seem to fit with anything else that goes off in the movie. It's all quite innocent. And then to have that come on at the end, it's like, now, surely, surely anybody, even if it was in the script for Big, they'd have looked at it and thought, that's got to go. We're not having it end like that at all. No, how it ends, he goes back to being a teenager. He's learned something. He gets on with his life. Yeah, and that's all you need. Nothing icky or creepy. Number one. Okay, we've got to number one in the 10 Mandela effects. We said we were going to bring you something very curious, and this is something particularly curious. It's Curious George, and it's the curious case of the live-action Curious George movie. Is there a live-action Curious George movie? Possibly not. So, this is the Mandela effect that people cite as the closest you can get to the Shazam, Kazam effect. Curious George is something I'm completely unfamiliar with. I don't know if I've lived under a rock or if this is something I should know, but it's a monkey. That's all I'm like aware of. And then there's a separate Mandela effect about it going on where people remember this monkey having a tail, but apparently he never had a tail. So that blows people's minds to start with. In 2006, there was a Curious George movie. It was an animated film and Will Ferrell starred in it as this yellow man, man in yellow coat. The man in yellow hat. Yellow hat. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm even getting the yeah. attire wrong. Yeah. It's getting that moment. This is the power of the Mandela effect, clearly. But this is the one that I have been researching into after looking into Shazam. And I find it pretty fascinating because it does tie in with some movies from my childhood as well. So, okay, so 2006, I would have been a teenager and I would have had no interest in kids' movies at that time. So anything of that era that was made for children would have completely bypassed me because I was just interested in the horror section. That is how it was back then. My husband, however, remembers seeing uh, adverts and trailers for the Curious George animated film because he worked in a cinema at the time, but that's only his only recollection of it. So going on to Reddit, the user says, I swear I remember it being about a man in the yellow hat, mainly, kind of like that live-action Pink Panther movie where the actual Pink Panther character doesn't show up. 
I know there was an animated Curious George movie, so I'm not confusing it, but I'm freaking out because I even remember seeing commercials on TV for it maybe eight years ago. And what's typically thrown around with this, again, like it was with Shazam, people name drop certain actors attached to the project and, you know, very well-known actors as well. So with this one, people have claimed it's like Matthew Broderick playing this Yellow Hat Man or Brendan Frazier. Brendan Fraser did star in a movie called George Jungle that I used to enjoy when I was a kid. But that is like a Tarzan-style movie. Yeah. It's nothing to do with whatever this Curious George stuff is, other than the name. And then the other one that's thrown around is Matthew Broderick. And again, he played Inspector Gadget back in the late 90s. There was a live-action film of that. So whether people are misremembering it. And there's something linked to a music video by Jack Johnson called Upside Down. I believe that was for written for the animated film and they may have used like live action sequences in that and that's that's muddled people's brains a bit. But people are completely convinced that there was a live action Curious George. Someone says, this is seriously fucking with my head. I remember <laughs> you. No, I really do. The main actor was handsome. I remember George was in it as CGI and the guy would go on dates and George would humiliate him. Real movie. You're telling me it doesn't exist? This could be the next Shazam. Like, this is how passionate people are feeling about it, you know, to basically put this next to Shazam, the greatest genie movie of all time, I may add. (laughs) (laughs) So people are arguing whether it is a CGI monkey or whether the monkey was in it or not, but it's this fixation on this yellow hat man. Uh, Somebody says, I keep picturing Luke Wilson, but I think I fabricated it based on what the cartoon version of the man in the yellow hat looks like. I vaguely remember a trailer for a live-action Curious George, but I'm wondering if my imagination is just putting it together based on the suggestion of this post. So, of course, this is another thing with Mandela effects. When you start reading Reddit and reading people's accounts, it really makes you think, oh, could this be real? So I think people are just kind of adding on constantly and they're getting to the point where they might be convincing themselves, oh, there's something in this. Yeah, if you read enough stuff about it, I'm not saying that it will work for everybody. But if you're confronted with a mountain of stuff about something that you previously thought didn't happen, but you've got a lot of people saying, yeah, this did happen, and I've seen this, and I've heard this, and this is how it's described. And at some point, some people are going to think, you know what, maybe this is right, and maybe this is actually out there in the public domain, and I can go and see it, and I can find it on YouTube. Uh, Well, you can't, but I can understand why people get confused when there's so many people saying, this does exist, it's out there, I've seen it, I've seen the ads, I've seen it on tape, I've seen the trailer. You can get why people are swept along with the current of people who say, yes, this does exist, I've seen the Curious George live-action movie. It sounds a weird thing, though, that there's a guy going on dates and Curious George is kind of wrecking them, because that seems slightly less kid-friendly than you would think. It's a, it's a, a weird rom-com idea that there's a guy going on dates and a CGI monkey is buggering everything up for him. There's been worse ideas for movies. Again, it's like Shazam, like you say. People are saying, I remember the trailer, I remember seeing this. But there's no evidence to say that it's out there. If you look on YouTube, the only curious George stuff you can find is relates to the animated stuff. And... I like the weird thing about Luke Wilson saying that they'd made up this live action trailer with Luke Wilson 
specifically on the basis that the guy in the animated series looks a bit like Luke Wilson. But this is how it works. The brain's a, a weird thing. It will trick you into seeing things that you clearly haven't. And that's part of the interest when you go and see movies because there is that thing, certainly in the horror genre, where your mind is playing tricks on you all the time. You're kind of thinking, did I see something in the shadows? Was there something around that corner? Was that a noise I heard? Why aren't they looking behind them? Is there something up above? So it's quite easy for your mind to work overtime and give you information about something that clearly doesn't exist, but do it in such a convincing way that you think 10 minutes ago, there was no way that a Curious George movie existed now. I'm fully on board with this. I have to go out and rent it from somewhere. It's quite interesting for me because I wasn't even aware of an animated Curious George. This is all like new information to me. I don't remember promos for this movie at all. Like I don't remember seeing anything for it. I don't remember this being a big deal. Maybe it was in the States or something and not so much over here. I, I really don't know. Somebody explains it as Will Ferrell was the man in the yellow hat in the commercials for the film. That's probably what people remember rather than the actual movie itself. So I think there's something in that. If there were live action commercials created for it, featuring Will Ferrell, like it's it's understandable where people have taken that from. So I think there's more plausibility in this one compared to Shazam because there's actual reasoning for why people have assumed that this movie existed. So yeah, somebody else says, I have been meditating on memories of the film the last 24 hours after seeing this post since writing my original reply. I believe with confidence that the man, George's caretaker, was played by Paul Rudd. I really only ever saw him in Clueless with Alyssa Silverstone and recall thinking how cute he was in the Curious George film. I only saw the Curious George live film because of my enormous crush on him. That's it. I feel proud to have remembered this. I am sure. Can't wait to see how others react once they look him up and see if they remember. I feel certain about this. And then somebody else thinks it was Dane Cook. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really strange why there's always a different actor. There's like so many names thrown around of these Mandela effects. Someone's kind of saying that it was anywhere between 2010 and 2014 this film came out, so it would have been after the animated one. Mm. I mean, I don't know why they would make a live-action one so soon after an animated one. That's, again, a bit bizarre. Like, why would they make two similar films? Yeah, like, again, it's, yeah, it does seem a bit weird that they just go straight for a live-action movie. Like you said about the different actors, I mean, Dane Cook, Paul Rudd, Will Ferrell, make your mind up. Make your mind up over which actor it's going to be. Paul Rudd. I mean, I guess Paul Rudd is in almost everybody's consciousness because Paul Rudd is ubiquitous on social media. Even if Paul Rudd doesn't have a movie out, there's always somebody discussing Paul Rudd on social media. I don't mind. Seems a nice guy, so I don't mind people discussing Paul Rudd. But when you've got somebody that's so ingrained into the consciousness of people especially those on social media then Paul Rudd is going to turn up in every single project under the sun including the ones that don't exist. So what's quite fascinating as well somebody found an article from a very old blogspot.com blog called Hollywood Movie Costumes and Props and this one was posted on July 16th 2009 and it says animation maquettes for the Curious George movie. 
So it says, on display at Universal Studios Hollywood, you can see animation maquettes from the 2006 animated movie Curious George towards the bottom left of the picture. So it says here, interestingly, in addition to the 2006 movie, there was also an unreleased live action movie planned for 1998. And these are the pre-production maquettes for Curious George and how he would have looked. So that's quite interesting. These are like the genuine imagery here of what's displayed in Universal Hollywood in a museum. So obviously there was intent somewhere to make this film, but again, it's like when they said Matthew Broderick and then obviously his attachment to the Inspector Gadget film, that was around 1998, I believe. So that I can understand, but then people are saying this film came out much later, like in the early 2010s. It just doesn't add up like, what people are remembering with this. In some ways, it's more grounded than Shazam is because it's got some level of fact attached to it because it's got this stalled production. It's got actors that appeared in a live action promo for an animated film. So it's less up in the clouds than Shazam is. Shazam is based on a lot of misremembered bits of ads and a specific promo from Sinbad, which was nothing to do with the Genie movie. So I can see why people have more investment in the fact that there's a Curious George live-action movie. But again, it comes down to the fact that if you go to search for this, you won't find anything. There's nothing live-action about the Curious George movie. You can find plenty of stuff about the animated version of Curious George. But if you want to see Curious George ruining somebody's date not going to happen because it's not anywhere out there <laughs> definitely and then somebody also pointed out that apparently brendan fraser did star in a movie called monkey bone that featured an animated monkey so yes. so there we go that yeah. kind of answers the whole question why they're bringing him into it obviously he starred in a movie with george in the title and he starred in a movie about a monkey so yeah there we go. It's just all these different elements uh, coming together and creating something that wasn't there. But I think with this Curious George live action film, people seem to remember trailers more than they an actual film as yeah. well. Yeah. So there's not, not so much arguing. No, I saw the whole movie. I saw it in theatres. There's not so much that. It's like, I remember these promos. That is pretty interesting. And I think there's some truth in it somewhere that obviously a movie was initiated. It got stuck in development hell didn't happen they did the animated version instead you know nothing's come of it since it's more explainable than a lot of the mandela effects at least there's something to go on with this one whereas some of the others it's just a flight of fancy with this one you do have a point at which there may have been a live action movie never came to be but at least at one point in time there was the intent to make it Exactly. And again, it's just really interesting how people have just joined the dots with that and created something out of it that's made a big fuss over nothing, really, in, in certain ways. I don't think we will ever find anything on the scale of Shazam. It would almost feel like a cop-out, I think, if people started writing up about movies that don't exist. I think the ones, the examples we've given are a lot more subtle in some ways, like, you know, the Ghostbusters or the Back to the Future or Batteries Not Included. There's genuine stuff in that there, but with 
some of this now and you think someone's going to really try and top Shazam and I just don't think it would ever work because it is the bizarrest Mandela effect. Yeah, I hope they don't try and top Shazam because Shazam is a whole subject to itself and it's so convoluted and it's based on some very bizarre assumptions and, again, flights of fantasy that I think it should be preserved. I don't think anybody needs to top Shazam. It's its own entity, and I think it should stand as the prime example of the Mandela effect. Everybody tries to make things bigger and better and tries to top things, but no, leave Shazam at the top of the pile. It deserves its place. Yeah, it is the most baffling example of a movie that never existed, that people are convinced about. And if you haven't already, you know, please go and check out our full coverage of it because we had a great time researching it and everything just gets a bit batshit crazy with all the theories and, and that. So with that said, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we've just touched on 10 movie Mandela effects. There's going to be a ton more out there. So if you've got any that you'd like to um, talk about in the comments, just let us know because we'd be interested to find out about new ones we might not have discovered ourselves. And as I say, I think Mandela effects are never going to stop coming. There's always going to be new ones out there. So it's going to be interesting to see where the phenomenon goes or whether it will die down eventually. Did the world change in 2012? Did we enter an alternate reality where nothing is as it seems and life as we know it changed forever? Or is it just a simple thing of, yeah, our brains are shit. We can't remember things properly. <laughs> yeah, I, I think in my... In my case, uh, yeah, the second one, yeah, my brain is definitely shit. I'm, I'm not for the conspiracy theory. It's just that my mind doesn't work properly anymore. This is what happens when you get older. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for this special episode 80 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Next episode, we're back to the world of witches, and it's a double bill for the next episode. We are going to be covering 1993's Hocus Pocus and 2022's Hocus Pocus 2. Very excited about this one. Hocus Pocus is obviously a 90s movie that does exist. Uh, it was a big part of my childhood. I watch it every year for Halloween, and because it is one of those quintessential Halloween movies. And the sequel is finally here. And a sequel that has been discussed for years and years and years. Is it happening? Is it not happening? It's finally happening on Disney+. Plus. Get ready to watch it. And we're looking forward to revealing our thoughts. I really hope it's going to be a good one. No Mandela effects here with the, either of these movies. They do exist. We will be watching them and we will be discussing them in the next episode. Until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.